0: Hello, and welcome to Valley West Cinemas. I'm your host, Aaron, and this is the podcast where we take a group of related films and eliminate all but three. I have my list and my red pen ready because today we're discussing the films of Tom Holland. Tom Holland has already had a heck of a career for such a young age, but with the assistance of Spider-Man, of course, and the Marvel films, he has skyrocketed in popularity. You'll notice, though, that his popularity doesn't really translate to box office. Most of the films that he's been in have not been entirely successful outside of Marvel. He just had Uncharted, which is doing pretty well, so maybe he can branch out as long as he sticks to the action-adventure type genre. But Tom Holland hasn't really been tested yet as a box office draw. He hasn't had a movie yet where it's just his name above the title, it's just his movie, and it's not based on a known property like a video game or a comic book. I feel like Tom Holland's career is probably attempting to take the same trajectory as Tom Cruise, but Tom Holland really needs his Top Gun. He needs his The Firm, or Interview with the Vampire. That's not something that's just straight to streaming. And I know streaming is huge. It's a multi billion dollar industry. But the problem with streaming, I've said before and I'll say it again, is streaming sort of has a set it and forget it mentality, like a rotisserie. (laughs) It's like a rotisserie, just set it and forget it. And what I mean by that is any studio can release anything to streaming, and there's really no gauge for success. For every Stranger Things and Bird Box that becomes part of the cultural zeitgeist, there are genuinely 2,000 other movies and TV shows that no one remembers. You might have watched, but nobody remembers. Nobody cares. A studio can put anything on streaming, and it doesn't really matter if it's successful or not. And they never release those numbers. Netflix doesn't say how many viewers any particular title has. We don't really know what's successful. And I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole, but I bring it up because Tom Holland does have a few streaming titles. Devil All the Time went to Netflix. Cherry went to Apple. We still, currently at least, we still gauge success by movies. Every successful book or comic or TV show, somebody says, when are they making a movie? So as freeing as streaming can be, he still needs to find success in theaters. He still needs to find his A Few Good Men. But I hope he finds that. I hope he finds success. I like Tom Holland. Clearly, the rest of the world likes Tom Holland too. The films we'll be discussing today are Spider-Man, Homecoming, Spider-Man Far From Home, Spider-Man No Way Home, Uncharted, The Impossible, In the Heart of the Sea, The Current War, Spies in Disguise, Devil All the Time, Cherry, Chaos Walking, Locke, Doolittle, and Onward. Now those last three I'm going to go ahead and cross off right away. Locke, Doolittle, and Onward. In all three of these, Tom Holland does a voice, and I have discussed all three of these movies in previous episodes as well. Doolittle is bad, He voices one of the animals. It's not a Tom Holland movie. It's not a good movie. That was discussed in our Worst Movies episode. Locke is great. I love Locke. That one is included in my Best Movies You've Never Heard Of episode. It's really good, but he just plays a voice on a telephone, so there's really no reason to keep it. It's not a Tom Holland movie, per se. And Onward was discussed in our Pixar episode. I know people like it. I really don't. He does voice the main character. He does fine, Voice acting-wise, I think he did better in Spies in Disguise, which we'll talk about in a moment. But I don't care for Onward, if you want to hear more about that. It is in our Pixar episode, as I said. I am also not keeping Spies in Disguise. That one is actually pretty fun. Will Smith plays a secret agent who is the best secret agent in the world. And Tom Holland plays his gadget man, who accidentally turns Will Smith into a pigeon. (laughs) It's a pretty fun movie. It's, It's fun, it's silly. I do actually like Spies in Disguise. It's one of those movies that has more than one comparison to Soul in my mind. One less positive than the other. The less positive one is, when Spies in Disguise was announced, they made a big deal of it being the first animated film with a black lead character, but then they immediately turn him into a pigeon. So as far as representation, I don't know that they accomplished what they thought they were accomplishing. Soul does something very similar because he's only in human form for the first eight minutes or so, until much later in the film when they find his unconscious body. I'm not going to criticize it too much because the core concept is about a guy turning into a pigeon, so what can you do? I just don't think they hit that representation mark the way they thought they were when they announced it in that way. But that aside, there is fun to be had in Spies in Disguise. The other comparison to Soul may only exist in my mind, but watching Spies in Disguise, much like Soul, I kind of wondered what it would have been like in live action. Being about a pigeon and spies and over the top gadgets, it makes more sense that it's animated, but I think a big, fun, over-the-top spy comedy could have been fun in live action. It would have been super expensive, but that particular story, I think, could have been fun. It could have been fun with real people. I think Tom Holland is better in Spies in Disguise than Onward, but that does lead me to a somewhat overall issue I have with Tom Holland. And maybe saying issue is a little too strong, but Tom Holland has this great boyish quality, but I think that's actually detrimental. In animated form, when he's doing a voice of a kid, basically, in Spies in Disguise, Then yeah, he does great, it matches. But when you place that boyish voice and look into something serious like The Devil All the Time, there's a falseness to it, like he's like he's playing against type, but not in a way that works. Tom Holland just doesn't seem to fit in some of these. I'll go ahead and talk about his two serious movies, The Devil All the Time and Cherry. Both of these movies seem like they were custom made for him to break out of the mold, and a lot of child actors, because he was a child actor, try to break out of what they're known for by doing super serious things. Drew Barrymore did it when she did those Poison Ivy movies and Doppelganger and other Skinamax type films. Alyssa Milano did the same thing with Embrace of the Vampire and a few other adult aimed movies. Even Zac Efron and Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell was a child actor who did Disney films and then he had to do Escape from New York and The Thing. And that's a weird thing to think about that when Escape from New York came out, Kurt Russell He was known for basically being like Zac Efron. He was a Disney actor. A lot of these younger actors try to break away from what they're known for so they can have a real career, so to speak. And so Tom Holland has tried to do these more serious films, and I think they're both pretty terrible. (laughs) I'm sorry, I hate to say it. The Devil All the Time is the Netflix one. That one is the better of the two. I have noticed with reviews online that people tend to love it or hate it. There's not a lot of middle ground. The movie is about a bunch of interconnected family members over the span of a couple decades after World War II. And the cast is amazing. It has Robert Pattinson in it and Sebastian Stan. The problem is, for me at least, by trying to cover so many years and so many characters, when the filmmakers intend for it to be a sprawling epic, to me it's just sort of meandering, sort of a wandering nothing. And the movie itself is just sort of miserable. It's not a pleasant film. And not every movie needs to be pleasant. You can have a good and unpleasant movie. Now, Cherry is his Apple TV movie. It was made by the Russo brothers, who made the last two Avengers movies and the last two Captain America movies. Much like Tom Holland, this was their attempt to get away from just doing Marvel. They wanted to do something serious and with a message. And Cherry is about a young soldier who goes to war and comes back and becomes a criminal and a drug addict. And it's just a terrible film. It takes a lot for any particular film to be really, really good or really, really bad. A great number of films sort of exist in this middle ground for me. I don't throw words like terrible around a lot, and Cherry is terrible. It's an awful film. The war footage of him in training and going to war is actually pretty good, mostly because Tom Holland having those boyish looks, it creates a juxtaposition of the hell of war with this young character being ruined by war. So you can kind of see that appeal. You can see what they're going for when you place somebody who looks like Tom Holland in this terrible war situation. But the problem is is that once you take him out of the war and he comes back with PTSD and his depression, and I know in real life, 19-year-olds go to war. I get it. And it's sad and they go through some really terrible things. But he is not right in this role. Sick, depressed, drug addict, badass. Like it just doesn't work. I get that he's trying to break out. He is terribly miscast. The movie needs an edit and the Russo brothers need to understand that being negative isn't the same as art. There are films that are art, And there are some films that are entertainment, and there's some that can be both. Some can just be fun, some can have a message. There are ways to make different kinds of film that mean different things. And if you watch the film, you can tell they weren't making an art film. They were trying to be cool. And so the movie is just wrong. I just don't like Cherry at all. Let's take a break from the negativity and talk about a good movie that you've probably never heard of. The Current War. Or if you rent it, it's known as The Current War Director's Cut. Which is weird. It's weird that a movie that was never released comes out with the title where the title on the marquee in theaters and on the video box says The Current War Director's Cut. That's the title. It's not just a label slapped on a release where it says, you know, unrated or anything like that. It's the actual title. The words Director's Cut are in the title, which is strange. The reason is the movie was actually made in 2015 or 16 and did not come out all the way until 2019 because it was financed by the Weinstein Company. And if you remember Harvey Weinstein... Uh, he did some, <laughs> some very bad things. And so the Weinstein Company fell apart and that movie was sort of lost in the shuffle. I don't know if there was a Weinstein edit and they eventually were able to release the director's vision instead, but the original version or even a secondary version does not exist, at least publicly. And so for them to slap director's cut onto it as if that means something like, hey, this is the one that we really meant to show you, doesn't really have any impact. It doesn't really mean anything. But either way, if you look for it, it's going to say that. I like the current war. The title is a bit of a play on words because it doesn't mean the war that we are currently having. It means the war of the currents, like AC and DC, electricity. It's about the rivalry between Tesla and Westinghouse and Thomas Edison to get electricity into people's homes with competing currents, one AC and one DC. Tom Holland actually plays a smaller role. The main roles in this movie are Benedict Cumberbatch, Michael Shannon, and Nicholas Holt. I think Nicholas Holt does a very poor job as Tesla. But the other two, Shannon and and Benedict Cumberbatch, do a really good job. And it kind of makes me think of the other historical Benedict Cumberbatch movie, The Imitation Game, which was nominated for a bunch of Oscars. That one was about Alan Turing. And that movie did receive some criticism for how it softened the truth of the history of that character and the events. And I think the current war has a little more of the edge of real life. It doesn't portray any of the characters as being particularly correct or right in their actions. Normally, in these movies, you have one person who's framed as as the hero, one person framed as the rival. The Current War shows you the ugly side, the jealous side, and the ego of all of these characters. No one is framed as being purely the hero. It doesn't have that softening that the imitation game has, which might make it slightly less accessible to some audiences, but it by no means is a difficult watch. It's a very enjoyable film. It is an entertaining film. Tom Holland's role, as mentioned, is pretty small, and when he pops up in it, I actually went, oh, oh yeah, (laughs) because I'd forgotten. I'm hanging on to the current war for now. It's not exactly a Tom Holland film. He's not the main character, but it's very good. And so I'm definitely hanging on to it for the moment. Let's go ahead and talk about Uncharted. I'm very torn about Uncharted and I know it's still a new movie and I'm not going to spoil it here. I'm not going to give away anything that happens at the end. I have a number of problems with Uncharted. (laughs) Shock, right? I know. Try not to be so surprised. I have problems with Uncharted. When you have something like Uncharted, a hugely successful video game series where part three alone sold like 15 million copies, and then you go to make a movie, and on its surface, the action and events of the film fit the games. In that respect, it's a movie of the games, but the thing is, is that the main characters are not the versions of the characters from the game. And I don't just mean that they cast young, that they went with essentially Uncharted Begins, or Uncharted Year One, where Nathan Drake is still a kid. That's fine. I'm not really going to complain about that the version of Nathan Drake in the movie and the version of Sully, the Mark Wahlberg character in the movie, those are not the Sully and Drake from the games. Those are not the characters. They don't act the same. They don't have the same relationship. And the movie doesn't really set it up to where you understand the growth to where they become those characters. So it's like they made a valid, uncharted film, but swapped personalities of the main characters with somebody else. It's a very strange choice. It's more like they're playing Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg than they're playing Nathan Drake and Sully. That choice genuinely baffles me. I do not understand why they would do that. Imagine if they made a movie of Friends and they changed the personality of one of the characters. It wouldn't really make sense, right? We would not accept that. But video game movies still have the stigma they haven't broken through, kind of like comics. It wasn't until Superman in the late 70s and then 10 years later, Batman in the late 80s to where comic book movies became legitimized. and video game movies, while some have been very successful, like the original Tomb Raider film, and now even Uncharted is doing pretty well, even with the box office, they still haven't become legitimized yet. We're still waiting for that one to say, hey, you can actually make a good movie of a video game. I don't think Uncharted is going to change that. I do appreciate that it's successful, and taking out the issue of the characters, if you look at the film as if it existed in its own bubble, it's a very watchable movie. If you think about it for more than half a second, then yeah, there's a lot of really dumb stuff in it. There's a lot of terrible coincidences, some very, (laughs) very awkward product placement with Papa John's Pizza. And just the reality of the situations that they set up in the film are strange. Like, there's a whole sequence where they're going through these underground tunnels like catacombs in a popular city. And they find this hidden treasure clue directly under a city grate, as if for 500 years... No one has ever gone down there. There's a grate in the street looking down into this tomb, and no one's gone down there. There are things like that that you just sort of have to forgive, and that's fine. That's fine. So, taken as its own entity, it's watchable. If you want to watch an adventure movie, then why not? Then watch Uncharted. It is definitely a watchable movie. I would not call Uncharted bad. I would say that it's not a good movie of the games, but that doesn't mean that it's not a good movie, if that makes sense. Personally, though, I am crossing it off. I needed more from it. I saw it once. That was enough. I enjoyed myself enough. And that's it. The next movie I'm crossing off is In the Heart of the Sea. It is a Ron Howard movie, and Ron Howard makes boring movies. In the Heart of the Sea is supposed to be the true story that inspired Moby Dick. It's about a whaling ship that's attacked by a giant white whale, and it has Chris Hemsworth and Tom Holland and a number of other people and the cast was on a 600-calorie-a-day diet to stay thin, because they're supposed to be characters that are lost at sea. The acting is fine. There are better survival stories. It doesn't take place at sea, but the movie Alive from the early 90s about the rugby team in the Andes, that's a much better survival story. If you really want something at sea, Life of Pi is a better survival story. In The Heart of the Sea is just kind of boring. It still has a great trailer. I do recommend checking out the trailer on YouTube. Why not? The best moments are the early sequences of the whale attacking the larger vessel. As much as I like Chris Hemsworth, I don't think anyone has quite found how to use him correctly yet. Maybe Extraction on Netflix or maybe or maybe Rush, which is one of the only Ron Howard movies that I don't think is completely boring. I actually like Rush quite a lot. But outside of the initial attack sequences with the whale, which look amazing, those sequences are fantastic. But the movie's just boring. Tom Holland's role isn't very large, but he's in it enough, you'll recognize him. I will say one other issue with the movie is, once they're at sea, and they look all scraggly, and they have their beards, it's hard to tell them apart. It's hard to sell the drama of any particular character if they're sitting in dark boats in the dark ocean, and they all kind of look the same. You don't really get a connection with any particular character. Outside of the effects, I don't really have anything good to say about In the Heart of the Sea. Speaking of special effects, let's talk about The Impossible. And this is the movie that really made Tom Holland's career. That's the one where people saw this kid and thought, wow, we could really do something with him. This kid is special. The Impossible is about the 2004 tsunami. It has Naomi Watts and Ewan McGregor as a family on vacation when the tsunami hits, and it's about their struggles to survive and find each other again. Tom Holland plays one of their children. And the reason I mentioned the special effects earlier, because The Impossible is one of those movies that does such a fantastic job of not letting you know that it's a special effect. The scenes of the tsunami and the destruction are incredible. And it's a great story of survival. It goes back and forth between the dad with two of their kids and Naomi Watts with Tom Holland. And it's a really good movie. Naomi Watts was nominated for an Academy Award. What's particularly great about that film is it straddles the line between disaster entertainment and real-life tragedy. You could say that a movie like this is taking advantage of other people's heartbreak. And there is an argument to be had there. But the movie really is about hope. It sells you hope and entertainment, sure. It never comes off as exploitive. You see the heartbreak. You see the hardship. It is an excellent film. I highly recommend The Impossible. Definitely hanging on to it for now. Before we dive into the Spider-Man films, the only other film left is Chaos Walking. It came out during the pandemic. It's one of those movies that was delayed over and over again before the pandemic. And then once the pandemic hit, it was delayed even longer. It has Tom Holland and Daisy Ridley from the Star Wars movies. And she is in the most atrocious wig. Good Lord Almighty. (laughs) It is a terrible wig. And the movie was one of those troubled productions where early word was coming out that it was unreleasable, that it was so bad. And they spent $90 million on this thing. They spent a ton of money. And then they tried to add in a romance subplot that wasn't there before, just so you could have a scene of Daisy Ridley and Tom Holland kissing because they're both young, attractive stars. The concept of the film is really interesting, where people's thoughts can be seen. Like, if you think about something, the thought and the words come out loud. So it's very hard to be deceitful. If everyone can see your thoughts and hear your thoughts, and in this particular society, they've killed all the women. Uh, Apparently, this is the result of being able to hear your thoughts, is that all the men will kill all the women. The movie never really takes it very seriously, though. The movie never really goes down that road of what that really means. Because you could have made a Handmaid's Tale-type social commentary film about men being unable to accept female thoughts. I mean, that opens a huge can of worms. That presents all sorts of roads you, you could go down. And the movie doesn't do anything with it. The film was edited to almost incomprehension. Who knows what they changed in post, if the movie was really as bad as they said that it was before they made all the changes and spent all that money trying to turn it into something else. Part of me wishes they'd left it alone because what came out was not good. Tom Holland is good in it. He does a good job selling the frustration of not being able to hide what he's thinking, especially when he sees a woman for the first time. He basically has a look of, oh my God, shut up, the whole time. (laughs) But it works. He does a good job with it. They don't really explore any of the social aspects of the core concept of the the film, and they try to make the leader of the community into this twisty villain who's secretly hiding something or whatnot. And it's just—it's just a who cares. The whole movie is who cares. Daisy Ridley is pretty bland in it. One of the Jonas Brothers is in it, and he actually does pretty okay. It's not terrible. It's not cherry. And sometimes it is fun to just watch a big budget movie with actors you recognize. It's not great. It's not even really any good. There are worse things you can throw on. I'm not recommending Chaos Walking, but it'll do in a pinch if you just need something to throw on that doesn't look like it was made for Redbox. All right, so lastly, we have the three Spider-Man films, Homecoming, Far From Home, and No Way Home. Of the three films, part two, which is the one where they go to Europe, is the one that I like the least. I'm not saying that I dislike it. I do like the movie. I like all three Spider-Man movies, actually. With Homecoming, one of the charms was that it felt like a John Hughes movie mixed with a Spider-Man movie. And they really doubled down on that with Far From Home, the second one. And for me, that was some of the least entertaining stuff. I like Mysterio. Mysterio was fun. His twist was definitely fun. So I don't dislike Far From Home. I don't. I do not dislike it. I just want to stress that before anyone gets mad at me. I like Far From Home, but of the three, it's the lesser film. So I will cross off Far From Home. No Way Home is a huge, huge success. Not only did it make a ton of money during the pandemic, it's actually the third highest grossing film of all time. My only concern with No Way Home is that for a show of this type where I'm eliminating films, the idea of No Way Home existing but not the other two to me is a bit of a problem because No Way Home relies so much on nostalgia that I don't know that I could keep it. If you were to ask me which of the three that I like the most, I would probably pick No Way Home. I like No Way Home. It's good. It's very good. I do think Homecoming is also very good. But No Way Home, though, it's so reliable on nostalgia. You need, you really need to know these other movies and these other characters and care about them. I really don't see somebody going into No Way Home without knowing Homecoming, Far From Home, and at least one of the Avengers movies, especially with its length. It's two and a half hours long, it packs in a lot of stuff. And so you really have to have that connective tissue to the other films. You really need to know these other characters are for any of it to really matter. I genuinely appreciate that all these other characters that show up from the other movies are not just cameos. They give Electro and Goblin and Doc Ock time to actually have characters. They don't just show up and fight and that's it. They actually give dialogue and scenes and roles to these characters. They don't just show up and I appreciate that a lot. Like a lot. I really do. I like Homecoming a lot, the dynamic with Michael Keaton and what they did to the vulture character to sort of explain why and how he's a vulture instead of just being a guy in a vulture suit, the scrapyard sort of feel to the villain and his motivation, and his relation to Peter through his daughter. I like that we had a Spider-Man movie that didn't show Uncle Ben dying again, and we didn't have a Spider-Man movie that shows him being bitten by the spider again, and I like seeing Spider-Man having to use his talents and his smarts to get out of situations instead of the suit doing it for him. At the end, he has to go back into his pajama suit, essentially, for the climax. I appreciate that quite a bit. So even though personally I would probably choose No Way Home over Homecoming, because I don't think it can stand alone, I am going to cross off No Way Home. I hate to do it, but it's not a film I could recommend to somebody who hasn't seen the other movies. Having that knowledge of Iron Man and such and the Avengers is helpful, but you can go into Homecoming with just a general idea of what a Spider-Man is, and you'll be fine that already leaves me with my three. And so, now playing this week at Valley West Cinemas are Spider-Man Homecoming, The Impossible, and The Current War. What do you think? Let us know on Twitter at VWestCinemas. If you'd like to support the show, please visit patreon.com slash ValleyWestCinemasPodcast. And please rate and review wherever you listen, that helps us a bunch. I'm your host, Aaron. Thank you for listening.